The Guardian. just coming off a very full art month, so we're dedicating this month's episode to art and design. Welcome to the Guardian Australia Culture Podcast, the Power of Snow Globes episode. Today we're going to attempt to solve some of the art world's biggest mysteries. What is art speak? What's the difference between art and kitsch? And why does everybody want to be a performance artist these days? It's March 2015. I'm Alex Spring. I write about arts and culture for The Guardian Australia, and I'm joined by an artist, an arts journalist, and a curator, and sometimes those roles cross. First up, Anna Madeline, a writer and researcher for The Guardian Australia, and also an artist in her own right, who is going to guide us through the intricacies of the art world. Hi, Anna. Hi, Alex. Our first guest journalist, Clarissa Seabag-Montefiore, writes about arts and culture and other things and has literally just stepped off the plane from Art Basel, Hong Kong and Art Central. Hi, Clarissa. Hi, Alex. And our second guest, artist, art producer and curator, Sebastian Goldspink. He set up Alaska Projects, has worked at the MCA and Mona, and he's taking time out from the relaunch of Sydney's art space to be here today. Hi, Sebastian. Hello, how are you? Good. Thanks for joining us. First up, the other day we had an interesting debate in the office about Ken Doan and Graham Bass and other popular artists around what was art and what was kitsch. Which is which, and is kitsch even a criticism anymore? Earlier this week, we asked some other people what they thought about Ken Doan. His pictures of the opera house are definitely kitsch. They're not art. I have seen them on plastic tray tables, (laughs) which haunted me as a child. So, no, I I don't think they're art. There's way too much primary blue. All of his his work can be considered art. Just because he's a commercial artist is no reason to dismiss his work. Um, I know a lot of my friends mock me for liking Ken Doan, but I think that there's a place for commercial artists and I don't think that, I think that should be respected. I suppose in some ways art is what the institution tells us art is, uh, how the market encourages us to think about certain types of certain expressive forms. But the most important thing about him is he shows what you can do with a very minimal talent. Wow, that was quite a burn. Ken Doan seems to elicit quite strong reactions. But it's an interesting topic. What makes art art and what makes other commercial art kitsch? I'm going to go straight to you, Sebastian. Wow. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, um, I, think, I think it's interesting. Like With, with, with an artist like Ken Doan, and uh, we'll, we'll call uh, Ken an artist, um, uh, you know, I think back to, I'm, I'm guessing the year, let's say it's 1987, and um, Ken is engaged to make one of the BMW art cars. And, um, you know, previous artists that have done that are people like Andy Warhol, Rauschenberg, um, so in very, very good company. And th- there was a, a point in history where, you know, Ken managed to sort of break through to some sort of worldwide kind of, you know, acknowledgement and, and attention. So I think that... Um, in 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 art practice, um, and it's something that I think that the art world doesn't like to acknowledge. But I think there there are trends, you know, and and trends sort of come and go. And there was a point in time when when an artist like like Ken was very kind of you know prominent, and um, and I guess that's changed. And I guess you know he was he was you know uh, 
cognizant of that in the fact that, yeah, he allowed his works to be reproduced on bedspreads and on dinner plates and things like that. But um, maybe maybe we could talk about the word kitsch and kind of like get a definition of, of what kitsch is and what's what's the kind of difference. Because I think it's a... I think it's a um, yeah, an interesting word to, to have Absolutely. A look at. Yeah. So, I mean, there is a kitsch movement, which is reclaiming kitsch in inverted commas. Yeah, embracing yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and obviously, there are a lot of artists that deliberately employ what would be considered kitsch in their work. So, I mean, is kitsch an insult? Is it derogatory? Or is it reclaimed now? Or ironic. Or ironic. I feel like often in the art world, it's sort of kitsch. Everyone, people are producing kitsch works now, but it's sort of with a knowing wink and a uh, quotation marks around mm. the word and they're sort of doing it in a very ironic way mm. or nostalgic way even. Yeah, I think about the rise of say ceramics that we've seen sort of you know worldwide in practice so uh, you know um, yeah, a real return to a sort of a, a love of of uh, ceramics and bringing sort of ceramics back into the idea of being part of contemporary art as opposed to say like a craft or something like mm. that. I also think about even even in fashion like uh, my friends who um, design uh, Romance Was Born, yeah. you know those guys love Ken Dunn, you know love Jenny Key, love all that kind of Australiana from that uh, that that period, Lyndon Jackson. You know, um, it's 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 really sort of looking at their kind of childhood and, and kind of reclaiming it and, and and bringing it back. I mean, I find it really interesting at the moment as um, someone who's forty two. The kind of all these people, all these young people, so in the early twenties, referencing the nineties and sort of approximating what their idea of what the nineties was like it makes me feel old. Yeah, yeah, and having lived through the nineties and sort of seeing their take on it, yeah. you just just like this, right? You know, it's like no, Wasn't you know, nineties legging, like denim legging, yeah, and big t-shirts and converse. That's what I wore: denim leggings, big t-shirts, and converse trainers. Yeah, high yeah. color t-shirts. Do you remember those? Like blow on them and they change color. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but I th- I think it's interesting. Um, I think that's a really interesting thing that isn't talked about. I don't think enough is this this idea of trends um, in contemporary art that you know mm-hmm. it's trends based and also too that that those trends are um, you know paralleled in other in, uh, in other kind of um, fields and the influence of other fields and their trends on contemporary art. Say something like fashion having it, mm-hmm. having an influence on. The visual arts. I think the visual arts would always take this position that, oh no, you know, we're not led by something as flippant as as fashion, but in reality, they are. So I wonder if for, for Paul or Ken, it's just the you know the the, the burden of history and time passing that he's mm. been confined to this 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 um, kind of kind of position. It's interesting that it's keep, it keeps referring back to childhood though, and things that you remember, like yeah. it, it's your earliest uh, memories or. I guess experiences of the world um, through through art come through that. I mean, Anna, you were one of the, with the people on the desk when we were talking about um, Graham Bass, saying that you loved his work um, on the novels, uh, uh, childhood novels. Yeah, just the illustrations. I think they just um, like my mum really liked them as well. So it was just really that link back to my childhood, and I I was really surprised that you guys didn't like them. <laughs> <laughs> Um, But I guess kitsch for me, I think it's interesting how artists are reclaiming it because a lot of artists do quite political things with kitsch because kitsch objects or things themselves are often tacky and mass-produced and just as an object they say quite a lot about um, consumer culture and and that kind of stuff and artists can kind of use that in different ways to, to make political statements. 
But then is their work kitsch just because it's using kitsch things? Does that make it kitsch art? I don't know. <laughs> but I, I really always, you know, resist this temptation and I uh, kind of, you know, question why people feel the need to do this of making those kind of judgment calls on people. I'm sorry, that's not art. You know, I'm sorry, <laughs> he is not an artist. She is yeah. not an artist. Yeah. You know, like yeah. um, I'm, 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 I'm willing to say that that is art and they're an artist, but I just don't give a shit about their work, you yeah, know, but, yeah, but, but, yeah. but, but whatever. Like I'm not going to take that, that, <laughs> that title away from them. I think it's really interesting that um, Art Bank, which is the, um, you know, the, uh, the government kind of uh, collection um, in Australia, a national kind of collection that acquires work of uh, living Australian artists just recently, bought uh, a Kendone like in, really? the la- in the last 12 months to add to their collection, um, a significant kind of uh, national collection that will be kept in, in, in perpetuity. Um, so, you know, perhaps we're already seeing the uh, the return of, of Mr. Dome. And why can't an artist put their, you know, images onto what, mugs or whatever, you know? Or, um, Mambo did it heaps and he... I don't think he's got such a bad reputation as Kendone. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think I think this kind of idea that artists can't be commercial is actually yeah, there's there's loads of commercial artists. There's actually mm. wonderful art, you know, for advertising, you know, as well. Like that's art in a way. And mm. um, yeah, and, and it's weird. Um, like I have a friend who's a, a you know really prominent um, art consultant, sort of art advocate in uh, in Sydney. And she's got a great collection of you know contemporary artworks, um, but she also has a Snowdome collection. Oh, uh, 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 snow domes, right? And and all her friends sort of know this, and that whenever they travel, like I'm in Seville, I see a mm. snow dome. Oh, I'll buy it for her. She'll she'll love it. And and it's this great kind of thing. She's a really kind of you know smart, aesthetically minded kind of woman. But mm. since an early age, she's loved snow domes. And it's weird because if you're talking about like the idea of talking about collecting contemporary art to most people, um, I'll, is something that you know is a, is a hard sort of concept to get, but if I said you know collecting snow domes, yeah. like even if Everybody they don't, loves even, that. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, even absolutely. if they don't like sl- snow domes, they can understand. We oh just yeah, proved y- that yeah, 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 you get this. <laughs> and when you're getting the snow domes part, using the analogy of a snow dome, you know, I go to San Francisco, I buy a snow dome that reminds, and I put it on my shelf, and that reminds me of being in San Francisco, yeah. you know, or if I go to, you know, wherever, if I go to um, Alberta, Canada, mm. it's, you know, the snow dome, that little memento from that thing, it means something to me. And I think the same kind of thing um, is present with art and the acquisition of art, you know, for, for individuals particularly, you know, um, ha- having that kind of, that artwork is actually worth more to you, not in terms of dollars and cents, but it's worth to, more to you if you have, if it reminds you of something important to you. Whatever well, has a story. Yeah, yeah. Has a, sto- a story that you can... Yeah, so seeking out those stories and, 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 and getting that. So also, too, that you can, you can talk about. I think a lot of people are intimidated also, too, by having things on their wall that they don't understand for fear that mm. I'm going to invite you over for a dinner party and you're going to say, <laughs> explain that painting to me, you know, and I, I'm going to be shown up for not, for, for not knowing everything about that, about that painting. But... Um, and I think that's a two-way street. I think it's up to artists and, and the, the sort of general kind of art world to to to, to assist with that that storytelling, mm. that narrative, and then vice versa for for you know encouraging people to sort of seek out those stories and seek out those relationships. And then something like that becomes a really strong, really significant thing in your life that reminds you about whatever it is that 
it is important. Absolutely. Well, it's funny. Uh, one of the people that we work with um, back at the office has bought a Candone yep. painting um, specifically because he lives in the area which Don has actually painted. Yep. And so he can look out of the window and he can see the actual beach, whether I think it's, it's not Clontarf Beach, but mm-hmm. it's in that area. And he can also see the picture too. So yeah. As you say, that's the perfect connection. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that. You're listening to the Guardian Australia Culture Podcast. For all our art and design news and reviews, both in Australia and around the world, head over to theguardian.com, click on culture, and then click on art and design. Later, we'll talk about what makes performance art art and why celebrities like Lady Gaga, Jay-Z and Shia LaBeouf really want to be considered performance artists. Artspeak is one of the things that make the art world so impenetrable. Some call it art criticism, some call it art wank. People often make fun of it. There are even apps that generate the most preposterous art phrases. But others defend Artspeak. Anushka told us on Twitter, art appreciation or criticism uses adjectives or adverbs carefully to argue points. But does Artspeak make art impenetrable? Is it the only way to talk about the actual act of creation? Is it pretentious or is it helpful? Anna, as an artist, is it useful to you? In some cases, yes. Um, I think I think the places it goes wrong is when artists don't really know what they want to say. So they kind of try and fluff it out with all these big words that they don't actually need. And in those cases, I think it's better just to keep it simple. And, and there's nothing wrong with saying things in short sentences. Um, it makes it so much easier to understand. And being on the other side as well, when I'm like sorting through press releases at work and it's those big ones with all these massive words and long sentences that I just, I can't read anymore <laughs> and they don't make any sense to me. So I think it's better to be simple from an artist's point of view. I actually wrote down a sentence if you want to hear one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Please this do. Is, this I is love just, them because they're so fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is just from a, just one that I found on the internet about an article about art speech, apparently from Canada. And it's just talking about a thing and it says, I don't know, an exhibition. It says, using the craft of painting to navigate through the transient obstacles and challenges towards unification of concept and practice. What? But that actually doesn't mean anything. <laughs> no. and it's, just, it's just a bunch of kind of d- d- seemingly deep words strung together. Mm. And I don't, it kind of, it makes me a bit angry, actually, because it, I just... It adds to the ways that other people make fun of contemporary art as well. Yeah, especially and I think it, it yeah. shuts people out, but also it... It's just bad writing. It's just bad writing. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Stop. You know, it's it. not, yeah. I don't mind if people have complicated ideas or deeper things or, you know, you want to be an insider and talk about something in a way that maybe other people can't talk about because they don't have the tools, the same tools as you. Mm. But that doesn't even mean anything. No. Mm. And one question with art speakers like why, you know, people have said, oh, the medical profession needs their own jingo, you know, lang- own sort of... Um, lingo, yeah. Lingo, yeah. yeah. And, um, but you know does art or whatever and maybe it does need some specialized language mm. but it's not the medical profession the same way and actually if you go to the theater if you go to um the cinema and you read the the program the brochure mm. it, it doesn't speak in these crazy sentences and i don't understand why art in particular 
has gone that way when you sit down at the ballet and you open the, the, the brochure for the public and it's actually very clean and easy and mm. interesting and informative. I found that when I started working at The Guardian because I was getting press releases from, from all different genres, theatre and art and music and everything. And the theatre ones are so easy to understand and often with the art ones, even from an arts background, I was still like, what, what, mm. what is this? But the theatre ones are just like, this is a play about this. Mm. And theatre's not dealing yeah. with, you know, it's dealing with equally as concept. You yeah, know, sometimes exactly. it's complicated emotions or yeah. concepts. Concepts, yeah. exactly. I always think yeah. as well, um, and it's, I guess, particularly topical as well, I occasionally occasionally watch Top Gear um, and I have very little interest in motorsports or anything to do with that sort of thing but what they do do is they demystify cars and driving and they make it fun and accessible and you know I can watch it and be entertained by it yeah. and feel connection and think oh that blue car whatever that is looks or, kind or of the fun antique to drive. road show it's sort of like <laughs> well this is it so it is uh, it is about demystifying and unpacking that. I wonder why in the art world that it has persisted, though. Is it because people want it to be a club, or I think that's I think that's an insider cliquey thing. Mm. I yeah. think I think you're right about people, you know, sometimes taking stuff from like the and undergraduate years and kind of because if you think about all the stuff we wrote when we were undergrads, I mean, it was all terrible, Horrible. all terrible. <laughs> it's like my sixteen year old poetry, like exactly. embarrassing. <laughs> and, um, and if you kind of go straight into using that kind of language and writing it's just going to be a disaster but mm. also there's a kind of question about whether it just gives people power you know power to be on the inside to shut other people out but also you know maybe it's sort of the the art market can be slightly overhyped sometimes mm. and so maybe people feel like they need to talk in this super hyped super mm. buzzed up language to I make guess, something seem like it's yeah. worth it because you're putting sort of subjective monetary value on something which is actually quite arbitrary often. But, but it's just a position. It's just a stance. Like, you know, um, you know, I meet people and let's say they talk about a novel, you know. Yeah. Um, um, and it's the way that you ask someone. If, like if I said, um, have you read um, on Dante's the, the Skin of the Lion? Um, and, and you go, no, let's say. You know, the people have that reaction. Oh, you, you, like, oh, well, yeah. oh, oh well, I, well, I can't possibly, unless you've actually experienced it, you know, like, I cannot possibly describe it to you because, you know, yeah. it, 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 it's bullshit. You know, you can't, you can't, but they, they, they want to use that, they want to use that as power. And, and it's the difference between being like that or going, have you read this book? Oh, no. Well, it's this book that's about it's set and blah, blah, blah. You know, you, mm. you start big and then there's, there's the main character and that there's this and I won't spoil the ending for you. You yeah. really must read it. It's a great read. That's just a different stance, the difference between, you know, being an asshole and being someone who... Yeah, will, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, when, the, when I, the David Walsh interview, he said something that really stuck me about art. Let's speak. Because obviously it's something very close to his heart because yeah. he's done so much... Mm to do the opposite and he has on the the O device that art wank that mm. that one whole title and um, he said it's like you have two academics or art critics or um, curators or whoever they are playing piggy in the middle and the public's in the middle yeah. and they've got the ball which is the information and they just throw it high to each other and they're mm. only speaking to each other mm. and they're sort of they've got this sort of ball that no one else can catch and they don't they don't want the people to catch it otherwise they would throw it lower and make it a bit more accessible yeah and actually, I thought that really struck with me. It's it struck with me. I was like, wow, it's a very, that's a great image that he came up with. Yeah, and I think that for a lot of those writers, their intention is, that, you know, I, I feel, you know, I'm very egalitarian, I guess, in this point of view. You know, I feel that, that 
one of the prime responsibilities of of of, of a writer is communicating the ideas that they're writing about. Like yeah. that's the core. That's the, essentially what they're, what they're doing, and taking into consideration their audience and writing to that audience. There exists a whole bunch of you know critical writing that which is obviously for a very different audience than the kind of audience that we're talking about, and that and that's that's fine, you know, because that's always going to stay there. No, no, you know, my dad is never going to wander into. Um, you know, a bookshop and say like, where's the, you know, the weird critical theory section and buy one. It's just (laughs) never, ever going to happen. And that's cool. Like, and I'm, and I'm glad that that kind of world exists because um, that kind of world, um, particularly in sort of academia, like you mentioned the PhD and stuff Mm -hmm. like that, there's a whole bunch of battles going on there, theoretical, conceptual kind of battles that then sort of filter down, you know, into, into the rest of the visual arts. And that's okay for those battles to take place at, at, in that kind of academic world. I think the real problem is when we're bringing into, say, a commercial world or into a museum kind of world or a world where people beyond that world um, interact with it and still, you know, keeping it in, 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 in that kind of in that kind of speak. And um, it just it just doesn't work. And I think it reaffirms uh, boundaries and walls. And one thing that that art you know, clearly needs is to break down some of those boundaries. And it also, you know, even even things like, you know, you can even sort of be political about it. It really does, you know, call into questions things like, you know, class and privilege. Well, this is it. And, That's what I was going to say. It's sort of an elitism to the yeah, whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a very bourgeois, very, you know, white middle class kind of uh, stance uh, that presupposes a lot of, a lot of privilege that, mm. you know, might might not be, you know, present in the audience. So, so this is why David Walsh has got it right in a way. I, I think mean, he's definitely got it right. Absolutely. With with the, and also he's not afraid to raise debates. I mean, that's the whole, you know, and to raise questions rather than answer them. And I think that's another problem with art speak or the sort of blurb you get is often it's telling you, oh, this artist has this deep concept, which is going and, you know, going to this part of the soul and stuff. Well, actually, once the artist has put the art out to the public, like with any kind of art, it kind of also belongs to the person who's viewing it and what their interpretation mm. is. Mm. So, of course, you can say, oh, it's meant to be this and this is the context and this is how, where the artist grew up and this is what I think of it as the curator. But then you've got to you know, allow debate and questions and, and other people's opinions to come in. I think that's the best kind of way. That would be the best way to approach it mm. instead of something that's dictatorial and authoritarian and top down to be mm. something that's much more bottom up and saying, well, this is what we think, but maybe we're wrong. And mm. Let's take and much more there. inclusive, right? Yeah, and much more inclusive. And I actually really believe that one day art speak is going to disappear and then we'll look back on it and think it's absolutely ridiculous. What was going on? What was going on? <laughs> I think we'll, we'll think it was so dated, you know? Absolutely. Will you be glad to see the back of art speak, Anna? Yes, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Guardian Australia Culture Podcast. What do you think about Art Speak? A necessary evil or just pompous, overblown nonsense? Tell us on Twitter at GDN Culture. Coming up, we're going to talk about what we're looking forward to in April, and we want to hear what you're excited about. Tell us on our Guardian Australia Culture Facebook page, facebook.com backslash Guardian Australia Culture. That is the sound of Lady Gaga chanting when she was on a three-day retreat with Marina Abramovich learning the Abramovich method. Jay-Z performed his track Picasso Baby 
at New York's Pace Gallery for six hours as part of his HBO special, Picasso Baby, a performance art film. And we've just come off of six days of Shia LaBeouf's Heartbeat broadcast live from South by Southwest. What makes something performance art? Marina Abramovich is the queen of performance art and she's going to be in Sydney and Hobart in June. So it's a timely discussion. Clarissa, why do you think everybody wants to be a performance artist at the moment? Why do they want to be a performance artist? Well, I guess I've watched the um, the Jay-Z video and the Lady Gaga one. And um, they're very, very slick. They're incredibly well produced. And they, they really reminded me of music videos, both of them. I mean, in fact, the Lady Gaga one, I think I've seen Rihanna do a similar thing with diamonds in a bath, you know, where <laughs> Lady Gaga's kind of covered in ice and her face comes out and it's all a bit sexual and scary. And Lady Rihanna's sort of done a similar thing. And I think it's just another, I think for them, and I hate to be cynical, but I think it's sort of another publicity route. And maybe they're, maybe they want to explore their, their, another side of their artistic endeavor, which is fine. But maybe also their PRs or press people are like, oh, I know, this seems like a kind of hot thing to get on top. Jay-Z's done it or Gaga's done it. And suddenly everyone wants to jump on because it's a new it's a new way to do essentially a promotional video. Mm, absolutely. Anna, you've seen a lot of performance art or quite a bit of performance art. Do you have an opinion? I agree, I think. And I think the the pop stars doing performance art isn't the same. Right, <laughs> it's, okay. It's kind of, you can kind of feel that they're, they're not, it's planned. And I don't think a lot of performance art is planned. And it's acted. So much. Yeah, it's acted. That's, the that's what I mean. Are, you know, I was kind of like, how long was she doing that humming for in the field? How many takes yeah. did that take? You know, it mm. looked like it was something that took takes. And maybe I'm completely yeah. wrong. Maybe she was there for 10 hours and they happened to capture the perfect shot from that. But... Yeah, yeah. I found the Jay Z one particularly just kind of strange, and <laughs> and um, I felt like a lot of art world people felt the same. There was um, headlines the day performance art died and and things like that. Um, but it was kind of interesting where that line is because a lot of people were saying like um, that Marina Abramovich had sold out as well and a lot of other people were saying what's Jay-Z doing in the gallery so it was just kind of this strange kind of merging and no one really knew where the boundaries were they, I mean they're well done other than that like I actually enjoyed the Jay-Z one you know I enjoyed watching it mm. I just thought it should be on M- I thought it felt like it should be on MTV mm. Mm. absolutely yeah Sebastian what makes performance art what makes performance art um, I, I, I think yeah I think it's a, that's a, that's a uh, you know, a diff- difficult question to you know pin it down to one dimension and one sort of you know quality that differentiates it, say from what, maybe what you know Jay Z was doing. I think that um, what's what's profoundly kind of interesting to me about about these these different examples that we talked about is why they happened. You know, why why would um, a really commercially successful hip hop artist? Why would a really commercially um, least successful um, Pop artist, why would also a really commercially successful actor want to have an art alignment, a visual arts alignment? Um, and I think it's part of something that I, I think has been happening for, let's say, about a decade, where we've seen this rise in the sort of influence of contemporary art as a sort of a, a, a cultural kind of touchstone. And um, I, I don't know how to completely articulate this. It's more like a, like a kind of feeling. But, uh, you know, worldwide we've seen a rise in kind of um, 
you know, biennales, art fairs, people engaging with art. It sort of seems that, you know, in this day and age to be a well-rounded sort of culturally um, uh, um, relevant person, you have to have some kind of engagement with contemporary art. The only thing I can parallel it to was like in the early 90s um, with, you know, people um, consuming independent film, let's say. That was like a really kind of, you know, important kind of thing. And there were sort of weird crossovers where independent film went into the sort of commercial realm as well. Um, so I, I find it really interesting that these guys would do it. And in particular, I find it really interesting that Jay-Z would do it um, because one thing that we know about hip-hop and, and sort of hip-hop's li- hip-hop lyrics is that there's a you know whole genre of hip-hop that's devoted to sort of aspirational kind of bragging, which is all about the sort of trappings of wealth, that I'm going to get this, I've got so many diamonds, I've got so much weed, I've got so many girls, I've got so many cars. Mm. Um, but here in Picasso, baby um jay-z is rapping about you know i've got so much great access to the contemporary art world and um i i um I, I printed out the lyrics and I, I won't i won't read them all but um i'll go on yeah, yeah. It, it, there's one verse where he he says um it ain't hard to tell i'm the new jean-michel so like a, a reference to, to basquiat surrounded by war holes my whole team ball twin bugattis outside art basel i just want to live life colossal and, it, and that's really interesting to me that 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 kind of um that that kind of area that, that that the world of contemporary art has crossed over to the point that that's coveted by um you know lyrics that were traditionally associated with ferraris and mm-hmm. and diamonds and girls so so the contemporary art is now the new cristal champagne right yeah it's, it's, a, status, it's a status <laughs> yeah, yeah it's status symbol it's, yeah as uh, something aspirational but i think it's kind of i think i think because of that it can lose a little bit of rawness you know mm. like I don't want to again I don't want to put this stuff down too much because I kind of feel like some of it is a bit cringeworthy but some of it actually is enjoyable or good or you know yeah. could be art mm. definitely but it kind of there's there's a a performance art a Taiwanese performance artist who went to New York called Tershing um, uh, Tershing Shea and he um, and he actually had just had an exhibition in Sydney at Carriage Works earlier this year or last mm-hmm. year and he's very influential among all these people. But when he was doing it in the 1980s, he was an unknown Taiwan, illegal Taiwanese immigrant working in like washing dishes in Chinatown in New York. And he did these four um, year long performance pieces really for kind of no one. You know what I mean? He just did them because he was so passionate about his performance and about making and you know doing it for himself I guess he almost didn't have an audience he definitely did it without any gallery supporting him mm. or without any patrons in any way and one of them he locked himself in a cage for a year literally in a cage with nothing he could no entertainment he had a kind of a pail to go to the toilet in which someone emptied for him someone put food underneath he didn't talk to anyone he didn't read anything he just had his own imagination one of them he was woken up every hour by 12 alarm clocks and had to punch a time clock for a whole year. Oh, my goodness. Um, one of them, he slept outside for a year, like a homeless person, um, completely never never went indoors, not even for one minute. And one of them, he attached himself to another performance artist, a woman, by a rope, and they had to live their whole lives, like washing, again, going to the toilet, all the kind of bodily functions, but were forbidden to touch. Mm-hmm. And they got so... actually didn't get on very well, and they were so frustrated with each other that they... He, he says that they... um above their beds they had these twin beds they slept in they were like scratching some nails because he just had to scratch down the wall he was so frustrated mm. and that's so different from what jay Z's doing now with this super well-produced super slick mm. performance mm. art video um 
I have to ask the question though, which is like, why would that be considered art? Though? What the the the, the, the Taiwanese artists? Why? How how does that fall? In? Is it because of the intention? What would what is that as opposed to you know having a really bad year? I think it's I th- I I've thought about this a lot too. Um, a bad few years. <laughs> a bad few years. Yes. Um, I think I think that's I think it's kind of a, this. I think it's intention. He obviously he obviously did have a, a small audience, and it was an, an, another group of kind of artists and some performance artists. Um, I think there's something that's sort of two things. One, it's it, when you think about it, the concept. It's very meditative to think about, but also to do for himself, and also quite masochistic. Um, And it's about endurance, physical endurance, but also mental endurance. A lot of it was just about his own imagination and actually finding solitude and strength and going into his own mind. But also it's almost kind of Buddhist or, um, you know, Buddhist monks. Some Buddhist monks will do extreme or, I don't know, maybe some priests also have extreme physical deprivation Mm. to reach enlightenment or some kind of spirituality. Mm. Mm. And so I think it... I think all those ideas that he's actually physically enacting and mentally thinking about kind of cross over into religion, art, physical deprivation. Like it's very hard to put your finger on, but definitely something's going on that's interesting and that can be discussed. Yeah, and it's immediately you can relate to it because we're all humans and and we all, you know, we can go, I can't even imagine what it would be like to be tied to someone. It's immediately kind of understandable. Is that why Shia LaBeouf's, you know, monitoring his heart is really not that, you know, engaging I I don't think, I, 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 he, he's the one out of those three who I cringe at the most (laughs) because it just seems like this kind of plaintive cry for attention, you know, and he seems like someone who maybe it's, I don't know, needs a bit of help. You know what I mean? <laughs> because he's, he's kind of, you know, the, the wearing the paper bag over his head saying, I'm not famous, the declaring after his plagiarism, mm. uh, accusations yeah. that he's going to retire from public life. But then to go to a premiere of Nymphomaniac and wear that paper bag saying, I'm not famous, is definitely not retiring from public life. That's drawing more attention yeah. to yourself. <laughs> and if he really wanted to retire, he would just go and retire. And actually, the Taiwanese artist did retire from art. He said, I'm going to think about, I'm going to do a project called No Art (laughs) and not think about art or do art. And then he just did it and just Mm. no longer does Mm. art. Shia has enough money to go somewhere that we would never need to know of his existence anymore. And it's sort of this, and I feel like that's a slight different. I I don't feel like what he's doing is philosophical or conceptual or, Mm. or meditating on life or thinking about things or throwing out difficult questions. It's more, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. Mm. And it feels very desperate. It actually feels desperate. And that's why the beating heart, like I said, I don't want to listen to his beating heart. Like I find it slightly (laughs) nauseating that this big Hollywood star thinks that we all want to, we're all desperate to get close to him in that way. Mm. Mm. I wonder what the contemporary art world thinks about these pretenders to the, to their, um, crown of performance art. I, I mean, Abramovich clearly welcomes Gaga, but you know, what about the purer performance artists? Whether they like these pop artists coming in? I think they work in such different realms that it doesn't right. really matter. Oh, it's really? Just, it's just different. It's not really. Uh, I don't think it's really a problem. That's. Yeah, I mean, I definitely yeah. think there there are there are you know sections of the you know the performance community worldwide or contemporary art community worldwide that would have judged Marina harshly for her involvement in that and, and those allegations of her being a sellout or whatever. Um, but, y- you know, w- whatever. It's just it's like a different thing that, that, that she has done. And, 
you know, we we live in this cultural climate now of just so much stuff and so much sort of static that really, you know, it, it's just all on the individual and what they choose to consume and what they choose to, you know. Um, so I think you you just have to, you know, sort of sort through all that kind of stuff and go, well, that's, yeah, that's just not of interest to me. That doesn't, I don't think that Marina doing this work with um, uh, Jay-Z um, devalues all her previous, you know, yeah. forty years of, of of work. It's just it's just something different, and maybe history will be unkind to the collaboration. Um, who knows? You're listening to the Guardian Australia Culture Podcast. What do you think about performance art? What is it anyway? Tell us on Twitter at GDN Oz Culture. Now it's time for our regular fangirl segment where we share the things that we are most looking forward to each month. Clarissa, what's in your diary for April? Well, there's, a, there's an exhibition to mark the um, 100 years of um, Anzac, the Anzac landings at Gallipoli called Your Friend the Enemy. And um, I wrote about this recently. And the reason why I love it is just the backstory, actually. It's got this really beautiful backstory. And basically... Um, it's a group of 16 New Zealand and Australian artists who travelled in 2012 and or for two years in a row recently to um, Gallipoli to paint on site. Um, and one of them's grandfather, um, a guy, an art, a sort of Sydney-based artist called Idris Murphy, had um, discovered these letters that had been hidden away in his family for around 90 years from his grandfather who had fought age 19 there um, to his grandmother who was his sweetheart then who he'd met at Sunday school and um, in September 2015 the two sides the Turks and the um, Anzac the Australians and the New Zealands put down their weapons and exchanged gifts so they exchanged like the Australians gave the Turks beef and jam and the Turks gave the Australians tobacco and then um, the Turks wrote a, a note in French to the Australians signed your soldier friends Turks and that's given the name of the exhibition and I just think it's a really interesting story and his letters are just beautiful that he's written back to his sort of childhood sweetheart Violet who he then did survive the war and come back to and he he wonders you know he can really feel the anguish like he wonders if he'll ever be able to dance with her again and he remembers their dances and whether they'll ever be able to go for a walk on Bondi and um, you know and have a picnic again because he remembers their picnics and um, and I just I just think it's a, it's a really it lovely so story beautiful when yeah. there's so much going on about Anzac Day and yeah. centenaries, and you know to actually have a personal exactly. way in. It's, yeah, it's exactly. It's a little personal, mm. little personal story and a mm. bit of art to go with it. Absolutely, Sebastian. What's in your diary for next month? Look, I'm a little biased, um, but sure. uh, but but the key thing in my diary uh, for the next month is um, is where I work as as a curator at um, at Art Space in Sydney in, in uh, Willamaloo. Um, we've got uh, an exhibition opening there called An Imprecise Science, which is um, curated by um, the director of the organisation and my boss, Alexi Glass-Cantor. Um, but it's really exciting. Um, art space has been closed over summer, summer and being um, sort of completely kind of renovated. And this is the first exhibition of the year. So it is literally the kind of exhibition that I'm, I'm most looking forward to. It's a fantastic um, exhibition that kind of looks at um, this idea of um, inherent vice, that 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 the world is not sort of complete and, and perfect and shiny and round, that there's there's little nicks and little inconsistencies in the world. So it's a really beautifully curated show that brings in a lot of elements um, from a, a really diverse group of artists, both um, both Australian and, and international artists, and really activates um, 
um, whole the, the whole sort of building that art space is contained in. So there's works on the exterior, there's works in the bathrooms, there's works in the elevators, and it's a real sort of all-encompassing um, uh, exhibition. Um, it also includes um, the opening of a new space that we're doing at art space called the Ideas Platform, which is an old storeroom that's been converted into an art space. And the space is really about um, a space that is... Um, not about delivering polished kind of final exhibitions, but more about ideas. It's a responsive kind of space. And the inaugural um, um, artist for that space is a, is a great um, artist from Los Angeles called Eve Fowler, um, who is um, displaying a whole bunch of sort of poster prints um, based on, uh, on sort of feminist writings. Um, and it's a really sort of interesting kind of space. So I'm very excited about that. I'm also really excited about um, the opening of um, the uh, War Memorial in Hyde Park by artist Tony Albert, which was a commission to commemorate Aboriginal servicemen and mm-hmm. women. Um, and that's opening up uh, this month as well, too. Uh, so Tony, a really great um, contemporary um, contemporary artist, has been engaged to make uh, this, this War Memorial. Do you know what it's going to look like? Or do yeah, I do. Yeah, or? it's it's based on a, a personal story. Um, a lot of Tony's uh, family um had served and it was a, I think a story from his grandfather but um, the realisation of it is basically these large kind of bullets these coloured kind of bullets so it's very kind of striking and very un kind of you know traditional like what we think of as when we think of like a war memorial um, it's monumental in scale but resists those sort of classical kind of flourishes and, and, and is, is very kind of bold uh, Tony's one of my my favourite artists and I think it's really um, significant that um you know that that the service of Aboriginal people is being uh, acknowledged kind of publicly, and um, and, and sadly, it's it's one of the few memorials to their service nationwide. So hopefully, it'll inspire other you know local governments and other sort of cities to to follow suit. But that's going to be a really moving and um, important kind of um, opening that's occurring, and, and and something that is clearly clearly you know long, long overdue. Mm. It's interesting to see these uh, tributes that are now being paid to the Black Diggers. There is a, the play, obviously, Black Diggers, yep. which is on tour at the moment, I think, around the country, yep. which um, I saw uh, two years ago, and that was that was uh, an amazing work. So, yeah. yeah, it's good to see. Yeah, it's, an, it's, it's, it's a hidden kind of story of Australian service, and ab- Aboriginal people really, really... Um, um, served um, in, in, in great numbers, in sort of significant numbers. Uh, my grandfather was Darug man. He he uh, he served. Um, you know, all my sort of great uncles they served as well too. Mm-hmm. And um, what's interesting is they're serving for a country. You know, at a time when they weren't afforded the rights of you know the, the, the people that they were fighting alongside, and the sort of hypocrisy hypocrisy of that kind of. Um, that kind of idea that people could go away and be good enough to sort of, you know, fight for the country and die for the country, but not to have basic rights like, you know, voting and access to public swimming pools and you know. and access to the RSL club. Yeah, right? that's right. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. Thing. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a significant and really, really kind of, you know, absolutely overdue kind of thing. And um, it's, um, you know, it's been commissioned by the city of Sydney and sort of continues their kind of commitment to. Um, to honouring the Aboriginal past of of Sydney, and for me, it's very exciting that um, you know that a contemporary artist has been engaged to to, to do this and have, I think, is a, a, a very brave kind of decision, um, and um, and I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Mm.
Mm, absolutely. As a fan girl. As a fan girl. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm going to jump in because I've got one of my favorite artists um, is going to be doing some work yeah, next month, which is Hugo Weaving will be in Endgame, which is on at Sydney Theatre Company uh, in April. And that opens, I think, on the 8th. Um, I love Hugo Weaving, obviously, on stage and on film. He's incredibly compelling. Um, and interesting, actually, his son is uh, was in Gallipoli on the Channel 9 document um, drama recently. So I'm um, so that will be really good. I didn't actually get to see Waiting for Godot, but this is the companion piece. And uh, the story is that um, uh, Weaving and Upton started to have a conversation about Beckett based on um, based on Godot. And this is sort of the continuation of that conversation. Interestingly, of course, Endgame will also be on at MTC, um, which starring Colin Friels and uh, Luke Mullins. So that will be really interesting too. But the STC production has Bruce Spence and Sarah Pearson, who I love, great actors as well. So that will be a really great cast. Um, but Anna, you've got a couple of things that you're looking forward to in April. Yeah, so um, I can't wait for the light show to come to MCA. Um, it's a big group exhibition of all kinds of light works from heaps of artists and it's just had really good reviews. Um, over in London at the Haywood Gallery. So I've been hearing really good things about that. Can't wait to see it. And the other one is the release of a book, and it's called So You've Been Publicly Shamed. It's by John Ronson, and it looks at the history of public shaming and then at some interesting things that have happened recently with social media about people who have just kind of slipped up and said something a little bit silly on Twitter, and it's just kind of ruined their whole lives, have lost their jobs, um, and their lives have just fallen apart just like that. And it only these things only happen on Twitter for about 24 hours. The whole world is obsessed with them and then it drops off, but it kind of looks at the ongoing effects that they have on the lives of the people in question. I, I read something about that and she, one of the yeah. girls that he profiles had some stupid tweet that she said when she was about to get off a, get on a plane to South Africa yes. um, <laughs> saying, you know, I'm going to Africa. I hope I don't get AIDS. Just kidding. I'm white. Yeah. Um, and by the time <laughs> she landed 11 hours later, she was the number one trending topic yeah. on Twitter. I think there were people waiting at the airport for her to get off the plane. That's brutal. Only yeah. in the age of Twitter, right? So mm. That'll be a yeah. great book. That'll yeah, I think it'll just be really interesting to read. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, that's that's it for this month. Thank you for joining us. Um, if you head over to theguardian.com and click on culture, you'll find our culture podcast page with a list of everything that we've talked about today and links to more information. We would love to chat to you on Twitter at GDN Oz Culture, on Facebook, facebook.com backslash Guardian Australia Culture, or send us your culture pics on Instagram, GDN Oz Culture. You can follow all of us on Twitter. Follow me on at Alex Spring. Follow Sebastian on at Seb Goldspink. Follow Clarissa on at C Montefiore, which is C-M-O-N-T-E-F-I-O-R-E. And follow Anna on at Anna underscore underscore Madeline. For now, thank you, Sebastian. Thank you. Thank you, Clarissa. Thank you. And thank you, Anna. Thank Thanks, you. Alex. Thank you also to our producer, Miles, and to our technical whiz, Jason. We'll see you next month back here on the Guardian Australia Culture Podcast. For more great downloads, go to theguardian.com slash audio.